Welcome to Live to Tell, the podcast where my friends and I come together to shoot the shit and share stories of triumph and failure. I'm your host, Carl Veal, and I'm excited to share some of my experiences and eager to learn some of yours. This is a no-judgment zone, because after all, we all have a story to tell. Nothing is ever as it seems. This week's episode focuses on mental health and the strength to pull through suicidal thoughts. Kyle was brave enough to share his story with us, so let's see how the conversation goes. Hello. Hi, Kyle. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm great. Uh, welcome to Live to Tell. <laughs> Thank you. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> okay, so uh, we don't know each other very well. Like, we met through a mutual friend, and we talked a little bit about my podcast, and then you told me a little bit about your story, and I thought it was great. I thought people should hear it and listen to it. So, are you nervous or are you excited? I'm a little bit of both. Okay. Well, I have to say that it takes, like, a really brave person to be able to tackle the subject from your own personal experiences and talk about it in a really, in a way where people can be understanding from it and also learn from it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I, I do for sure. Okay. So uh, let's start off with how and where you grew up. So I grew up in Marietta, Georgia, like north of Atlanta. Um, I had a very loving family, but diving into my past my family I, before i start all this too i wanted to this is one of the things i was nervous about i want to emphasize that i do have a loving family because if you're listening i love you but yeah i just gotta the truth is gonna come out mm-hmm. um but i lo- love them to death and they are so have huge hearts but sometimes having a big heart can be a weakness and that's something we can talk about too later on right um i live like i said live in marietta Um, I had a mother who had an addiction problem. I had a sister who had an addiction problem. And my dad didn't have any problems, but it did. He wasn't as present in in those moments as it needed to be. So it it put a lot of pressure on me to take care of some situations that happened. But Mm -hmm. growing up, my my mother had a surgery And it ended up getting her addicted to pain pills, which took a lot of uh, toll on her. And it caused it to go into different situations like alcohol. It had a lot of different effects on that as well. So it it started with opioids and then it turned into more and more. Mm -hmm. And it it took a a toll on her. I was about 10, probably 8 to 10 years old. I don't remember exactly when it was. And my sister growing up has always had an addiction problem. She was, since high school, she was a very particular child. She's 10 years older than me. So when she was in high school, I was like in eight, eight years to 10 years old, you know, but mm-hmm. basically long story short growing up, I had 
two people in my family that had a hard addiction problems. One was more hardcore than the other being my sister. Mm-hmm. Um, with a little bit more harder drugs. And then my mother just had a little bit of a depression mixed with some addiction problems being opioids and alcohol. So growing up with that at the age of eight, you know, going from eight and nine um, could definitely did take an impact on my life. And it did, it was really hard growing up. Um, but that's basically my background with that. <laughs> did you understand what drugs were when you were that young at eight to 10? So actually growing up, my family was very, has always been a hundred percent with me. Like, you know, maybe not at the age of eight to 10 years old, you know, but they have been very blunt with me. And I knew things growing up, you know, like, you know, when they were telling you, Oh, it's nothing. It's completely fine. You know, it's what it's going on. But, probably not at the age of 10. I didn't know exactly what was going on, you know, but like, I mean, for example, there's a story. I remember my best friend and I were in middle school and we come home one day and all of a sudden, like we're in my mom's bathroom and we look in the mirror and we see like a bag hanging up on top of her dresser had a bunch of towels and stuff on it. But on top of it was just a bag hanging out. We got on top of it and looked at it and it was like a bag of Coke. And we obviously knew what that was. That wasn't actually my mother's problem. That was just something we found at the time. But, like, you know, just for an example, like, at that time, we actually knew what it was. Mm -hmm. But also, growing up, I had a sister. I actually didn't talk about my older sister, but she is 44. I am 24. And my middle sister is 34. So they're 10 and 20 years older than me. Wow. And my best friend growing up, she had an older brother. And then her family was, they were very open with her too so she act, we were actually very aware and situationally aware of what was going on around us a lot of the time we knew about a lot of topics we probably should have known about at the time but we were just very like my parents kind of were just always 100 percent with me and they, they wouldn't just like lie you know they were they were very upfront with everything so like when i would talk about things they would you know tell me the truth like you know this is what this is mm-hmm. you're not supposed to do this as a kid you know you're supposed to be an adult then you can make your own decisions things like that like my dad grew up in europe too so being growing up in europe you know like i remember at the age of 11 my i told my dad i wanted to try alcohol and he actually drove we drove to florida together and mm-hmm. a long story short he went to florida got alcohol and brought it back for us to try together because it's his favorite tequila but, you know, he's German, so it's different overseas, you know. But long, that kind of taught me in a way of, like, I took that shot, and I was like, I never want to do it again, you know. But they were very open with me about it, you know. <laughs> they were like, no, really, like, they were very open about it. They're like, if you're going to do anything ever, like, we want you to be safe doing it, you know. But still, it affected me, not saying that that's healthy or anything like that, but that is mm-hmm. how I grew up. So I was very situationally aware of what was going on, but I may not have told them I knew what was going on, but I always knew what was going on to answer your question. <laughs> so do you think it was good for you to be like educated about drugs instead of like them hiding it from you? For anyone that's listening, everyone grows up differently. Everyone has different mindsets. Everyone has different perspectives in psychology, what's going on in their head. What's the same for me may not be the same for everyone else, but I, as a person, I like the upfrontness and I think it helped me a lot because I was very aware of what was going on. Even if something bad was going on, I knew about it. You know, I was confronting it. I was taking care of it. 
maybe not at the age of 10, but later on, like when I was 12, 13, 14, 15, mm-hmm. I was very aware of the situations and what was happening and the amount of importance that it was, you know? So I think me being aware of it, it matured me a lot faster than I was. I think some kids wouldn't be able to handle it and wouldn't understand it, especially listening to other podcasts mm-hmm. from other, like, you know, celebrities growing up, they, they talk about their, their childhood roles on different like TV shows and the impact that it had on them and how it wasn't very beneficial for them to know about that at a certain age. But I was very mature as a child. So I think for me, it helped me a lot knowing what was going on and what was happening. And Right. So you felt like more educated. Did you feel like you were more educated than your peers that were around you at that age? A hundred percent. Yeah. I was very educated in what was going on. The one thing like I was worried about, you know, like I, I, you know, the truth is going to come out and again, talking to my mom, if you're listening, I love you. But, um, those are the things that I'm worried about talking about because I just don't want to hurt anyone's feelings because she is a great human being, mm-hmm. but there are situations in the past that we can't change, you know, and it did happen. So if you're listening, I love you again. But, being aware of what was happening, you know, like when I was younger and I had situations, let's just say high school, you know, mm-hmm. in high school, um, where like what we started at 14, we graduated at 18, you know, but starting off at 14 years old, I was completely aware of all these drugs, everything happening in my family, like heroin, uh, opioids, like Xanax, Coke. MDMA, like all these things, not saying that I wasn't learning these things from my friends and also other people in high school, but I was very well educated on what these things were. Maybe not to the point where I knew specifically what the drug was, what it made you feel, how it affected you, brain and everything like that. I didn't know specifics like that, but I knew exactly typically what it did and what it did to people. Mm -hmm. So basically what you're saying is or people that do drugs aren't exactly bad, but the choices that they make maybe while they're on drugs makes them. For example, like I was very situationally aware of what was happening in my family. And the time, like one time I cheered, I was cheering in high school. I was at practice, actually fractured my ankle and my mom had to come pick me up. And she ended up being like 45 minutes late. The gym was, we were by myself with my coach waiting for me. And my mom came and picked me up and she was completely fucked up like oh wait that's not big fun. can I that on she was fucked up um <laughs> she was she was out of it and the thing was is like my ankle was broken you know like I, I mean I fractured it like I didn't know whether I needed to go to the hospital or what but what was I like 17 16 years old you know mm-hmm. maybe and you know I had to dip driving home that day like I had to drive home because she wasn't able to drive me home you know and as a, as a 16 or 17 year old child having to do that yourself, being frustrated at your mother over and over because of the things she was going through, which was putting me through different things, was a lot to deal with, you know, and it made me personally feel like a victim. Mm-hmm. And it made me, it hurt my heart a lot because it was like, you know, I love my mother and I know she loves me. Like she has been my number one supporter forever. Like always, like she will always be my number one supporter, but it, the things she had put me through and the things that I had to deal with for situations like that was just so hard to deal with and embarrassing. And, you know, my coach asking me, 
are you sure you're okay? Like, I, I feel like I, I feel like I shouldn't let you leave this car, you know? Mm-hmm. I had just gotten my permit, everything like that. Like, I could drive home with her technically, but I didn't know what was going on with my foot. Like, that was a really bad situation. You know, another situation in, in, in school that, like, really traumatized, not traumatized me, but, like, at the same time, it was really upsetting was I had one um, homecoming court. Like, I was on one of the nominations, and my mom had actually shown up drunk and she completely tripped in front of the whole auditorium. <laughs> so I knew everything was going on. And this was just, I was so pissed. I was so mad at this, you know, but like, that's just something like in high school, that's a lot to deal with. Not like, obviously like for whoever's listening, like I'm talking about certain things that were more embarrassing, but like growing up, mm-hmm. this was very hard to deal with. You know, anyone that has experienced this themselves, any child that is going through this themselves, they know the frustrations. They know, being your own role model was hard. You know, you had to be the person for yourself mm-hmm. to really put yourself out there. And going deeper into my history, I think I was in middle school, but my sister has another dad. My middle sister, she's she's 34. She has another uh, different father. And he has a lot of psychological issues. He has, I'm not exaggerating, over 50 warrants out, like, He has a lot of issues himself, drug usage, everything like that. For a period of time in middle school, he, and he wasn't in my sister's life either. He like dipped at the, like when she was like eight months old, when she, my parents were different than her parents. You know, she has the same mom as me, but different dad. Mm -hmm. Her dad dipped when she was about, I I think, I'm correct. I could be wrong. Nine months old. Was your, was your dad? on like a break with your mom at that time or was that before no my my dad had just met my mom my mom my sister's 34 so this was 10 years before i was born so okay. my sister my mom was with this this guy I won't, I'll, I'll call him frank is a frank gallagher that's what i'm going to call him okay um from <laughs> from that show famous but we'll call him frank my mom was with frank <laughs> 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 and um after they had a baby, which was my sister, nine months later, he dipped and was out of the picture. My mom had known my dad and um, ended up getting together with my dad after a period of time. But so my dad has been in my personal dad has been in my sister's life since age nine months old. And my, my sister's dad has been gone, but he came back into the picture like 10 years later when I was in middle school and came back around, got back in the picture and basically was homeless and asked my dad if he could live with us for a week or two. He lived with us for a week or two, turned into two weeks, turned into three weeks, turned into two years. And he would like threaten my father. He was a very like scary man. Like I don't personally understand it because as being an adult now, like if that was around my children, I know I would completely completely get that out of the picture like I would never have allowed that in my life Mm -hmm. he was also a major factor what brought drugs into my past or my family's past like he basically was a huge manipulator like Mm -hmm. getting people to do drugs with him which ended up getting my sister back on drugs and my mom taking drugs like they would get high together and this is the time I was in middle school, so I didn't really understand what was going on at the time. And I, I kind of knew, but at the same time, not as much as I know now. You know, we're in middle school. But it just, it was, it, it, it had affected my family so much. 
he came back in the picture. It was not very good for anybody. He was a very bad role model for my sister, which kind of impacted her a lot because that was her father figure. You know, my sister growing up had a lot of psychological issues. And coming from a guy that had a lot of psychological issues as well, you know, at one point, like I always say, at one point, you're an adult, you make your own decisions, you know, but he had a lot of issues, which growing up, seeing that being your father, it would really, it would really mess you up. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm not giving her excuses or anything like that, but at the same time, I can kind of understand where it led her, but she should still be able to make her own decisions. And today, to this day, she's doing a lot better. Let's talk about how, how that affects you as a kid with like two role, two role models that are on drugs. So growing up, when my sister's father was living with us, which was my mom's ex and my dad was living with us, there was a lot of drama. There was, you know, guns involved. There was people fighting with each other. The cops were called. I have actually called the cops probably since the age of 18. No, from like being, being a kid to the age of 18, like not talking about after I'm 18, probably 50 times by myself. And this is the problem was my father, he did not have any drug problems. He did not have any other problems. Like his only problem was he was too kind and he was kind of getting numb to it. Mm-hmm. He was kind of getting numb to all the drama and the situations, everything of coming up to the fact that he didn't want to deal with it, you know, but that left me to deal with it. And I would have to call 911 multiple times, seeing my sister get tased, seeing my sister resist police, like my mom throwing frying pans up the wall because she was trying to hit my dad. Like it was, there was a lot of situations that I had to endure and growing up that stressed me out. You know, imagine being 15 years old, having to call the cops because your mom's overdosing, your sister's overdosing, your sister's trying to kill herself, hang herself, you know, all these things going on. I had, I had this one situation where my mom um, ended up, she, she's on sleeping pills as well because she can't sleep apparently. And <laughs> apparently, and so she, if you know what Ambien is, Ambien is a type of sleeping pill that, uh, it's a very strong sleeping pill. And if you take it and you don't go immediately to try to go to sleep, you people have had side effects from them acting out their dreams or them doing things while they're sleepwalking and not remembering it, like eight hours of laundry or random things like that, driving to the store and driving back and not remembering a single thing. Right. She had accidentally taken six pills in one night, which is way too much. Like you take one pill and that's already too much. Right. She, I had, I was in my room. It was just me and her because my dad was in New York and I, I don't, I think my sister was in prison at this time. And she, all of a sudden I heard like a noise coming from my bathroom. So I went to go investigate. I was, I think this, I can't remember if I said this, but I was 15 years old, maybe 16. And all of a sudden I see my mom in the bathroom on my shower like i had one of those showers that had a risen part where you there was also a shower in a bathtub uh-huh. so she was standing on top of the ledge scratching the walls like basically bleeding at this point and she was like freaking out she was basically living out her dream and so like i pulled her back put her in her bed she was screaming like saying she sees 
all these bad people and these people are in our apartment and she sees her dad and her dad's been dead since she was like 16 years old and she's like seeing the other side and she saw a lot of things that night and it was very hard to deal with as a 15 year old you know so I went I had to call the cops at first I called my grandma and asked what to do you know she she ended up coming over she lives like 40 minutes away though Mm -hmm. so she ended up coming over by that by that time I had already called the cops she was like stuck in like a trip for like three days you know and she was in the hospital she didn't know what was going on and at this time it's really hard like I had I've had like probably three or four of those same exact situations happen to me um, when I was living at home up until the age of 18 like by myself or with my sister and my sister's on you know she's she was in and out of jail her whole life so she wasn't very much of a help so I had to deal with that myself you know and it kind of felt like I had to raise them and I kind of felt like I had to take care of them, which ended up putting on my, in my teenagers, a lot of stress and a lot of trauma. And it made me feel like I was responsible at one point because I wasn't fixing them. And I felt like I wasn't to the point where everything I was doing was not helping. And it felt like it was my fault. And I started believing that it was my fault. So it ended up turning me into, I ended up being suicidal. So like every day I woke up and there, I would say there's different versions of it. Like for at least for me, like there's different stages of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're either suicidal or you're not. But I wasn't at the point where I was wanting to take my own life, but I was rather wishing things would happen to me. I would rather wish, oh, I wish I would get into a car accident and it wasn't my fault, you know, and I wouldn't be here. Or I wish I would have, I would, my car would stop and I would fly off a bridge or. So you're wishing for, you're wishing for other things to end your life except for you having to do it. Exactly. So that was a period of time. That was probably right when I was 18 starting college. And. I only went for one semester, maybe two, I think two semesters, but I, that was a, that was a very rough part of my life. So I just, honestly, I tell people I haven't been to college, even though I have, but it was only one year of my life. What's happening with uh, the people that are around you at that time? Like, how was your mom feeling about you feeling like this and your sisters feeling about this? Like, how are they reacting to how you're feeling? No one knew. I, I, Moved out right when I turned 18. My dad borrowed some money and I moved out. Uh, mm-hmm. He borrowed money and um, he paid for my dorm for a year. And no one actually knew about that. But I, I want to go back to talking about the stages that I was feeling. Yeah, go ahead. I had started feeling like I wanted to start trying to take my own life. And it escalated into the point where I actually started cutting myself, which that happened two times majorly. Like I know a lot of people cut themselves and some people say that it's for attention. Some people say that, you know, Oh, they don't remember doing it, which is uh, that actually happened to me. Like I ended up having such bad anxiety and stress. I would start blacking out and I don't remember doing it. And I just woke up in my closet with blood all over my arms. Like this is the point where I don't remember. I remember wanting to do it. I don't remember actually going to get my razor and breaking it and doing it. And I just woke up in my closet and called my sister. You know, I, that's the first person I called. Like my family might be a little crazy, but I, I trust them 
to tell them anything. Like I could tell them I I did anything and I would, you know, they would be there to back me up no matter what. Situations like this ended up happening again, like where I, I found myself in a garage and I was trying to um, breathe in the fumes. You know, I had taken too many, uh, I, I had gotten, I had gotten diagnosed as bipolar a couple times, which I actually don't believe that I am bipolar now anymore, especially now that I'm doing really, really well. Like I, I find myself being extremely happy. Like I don't, I don't have all this anxiety and depression anymore like I used to. So I don't think I'm bipolar. So I, I probably should go back to the therapist and get read or psychiatrist and psychologist and get re-diagnosed or see what's going on, you know, but I was diagnosed multiple times as bipolar. I was on four different medications at a time. And I had taken one night, I had taken a whole bottle trying to take my life. It didn't end up happening. Situation like this happened again. Um, I was at work and I worked with one of my best friends and I lived with one of my best friends and I worked with my other best friend. Uh-huh. They had gone on the side. And when I was living with my best friend, they had all decided that I needed help. And I love them to death for this. I think this is amazing. If you're listening to this and you have a friend that's in need, you know, don't be afraid to take action. They had come together and said, whether he wants it or not, we're either going to take him to a hospital or he's going to have to admit him to the hospital or we're going to call 911 and we're going to make him get into a hospital. So they had picked me up from work all together one day and taking me to this one mental hospital, which also, I don't want to give out the name, but okay. I um, was admitted to, i not admitted because I voluntarily went myself, but they picked me up and said, talked to me there and said, we're very, we're very nervous about you. We're very scared. We don't want anything bad to happen to you. Like it's either you're going to do this. We're going to tell your parents you're doing this. Like we're going to get your parents involved, which I didn't want my parents involved at the time. Cause I didn't want them to know, like I didn't want them to, they would stress me out more than I was already stressed out about it. I thought at the time, which I think, you know, family should be involved. Like me as an 18 year old, 19 year old, I should not have been alone in that situation, but I was too afraid to let my parents know what was going on. Were you, were you more embarrassed or were you just scared of their reaction? No, I was, I, I wasn't scared of the reaction. I didn't want their help, you know, cause they were so, caught up into their own lives that mm-hmm. they they had enough in my mind they had enough to deal with i didn't want them to deal with me i didn't i felt like a burden at that point in my life i felt like i was going to cause more stress for them i thought i was going to cause be more of a problem than anything so you were trying to be strong even though you were like weak at the time yeah yeah i i didn't want to be the I didn't want to be another reason for them to stress out. Mm-hmm. So my friend took, picked me up from work, took me to this one hospital, which was basically, long story short, it's a rehab slash, I don't know what the technical word is, but basically like suicide prevention, like half of it's for mental health, half of it's for rehab. And they have a dual enrollment program, which is like whether the left side, imagine the left side being like, we're, we're preventing suicide. The right side being, we're, we're rehabilitation center. So we're, we're trying to get you sober. Mm-hmm. And then the middle being dual enrollment. My friends had taken me there. and Were you mad at your friends for taking you there? No, I, I was not. I knew I needed the help. I didn't want to go there. I ended up crying the whole time. Like I was 
panicking, but it, deep down I wanted to help, but I was, I was afraid to ask for the help, you know, like it's hard to ask for help, especially when you need help. And it's, a, it's scary to admit that you need help, that you, you have a problem because when you admit that you have a problem, then it becomes a real thing. Then it becomes yes. active and everyone around you knows that you have a problem. So if you just keep it to yourself, you don't have to talk about it with anyone. And it's not a real thing. You know, you can just keep it hidden under the covers and, not have to deal with it, but mm-hmm. I, my best friend, my be, two of my best friends knew what was going on because they were my best friends. I lived with one of them, you know, and they had taken me there. I basically signed my rights away. I was there for, I think, nine days total. But basically, I went inside. I'm, I can't remember. I was on suicide prevention, so I can't remember the code for that. But basically, they're just making sure you're not going to kill yourself or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Well, just okay. So think about when you first. What was it like when you first walked into the building? Were you scared? Uh, how were How were the staff like reacting to you? I was very scared. Getting there, I um, I had to fill out some forms. I signed my papers. They took me into a different room. They actually interviewed my friends, and this is where the story comes into play. Where um, they had interviewed them and saying like, oh, like what's he going through? Like, what do you guys can tell us? They asked about the drugs I've done, which I've tried drugs. I did not have a drug problem, even though my family had a drug problem. I have tried drugs. I smoked a lot of weed. Um, I did a lot of that stuff, but I, I was not an avid drug user. Like, I did not have a problem with it. But being said, I got enrolled into dual enrollment. So I had, they had classified me as a drug user. Mm-hmm. So getting in there, this is where like a little bit of humor comes into it, but getting in there, I had to go see a psychiatrist, which for anyone listening, anyone that has ever been in this situation, you know, I talked to a lot of people where they say they wish they never went to these places. They, they, they feel like it hurts them more than hurt them. But also at the same time, I feel like they're, in the healing process still, this actually was a very good journey for me. Like it taught me a lot. But that being said, when I went in there, I had to go speak to a psychiatrist. I was waiting in a room, waiting for him, kind of opened up to him. He asked me a bunch of questions of what was going on. And I was diagnosed with bipolar. Mm -hmm. Then I got rolled into dual enrollment, which when I got there, I found out that I was in dual enrollment. And I was like, no, I, I don't have a drug problem. Like, I had, I, the reason I was worried so much was because I had a roommate and my roommate was a recovering addict and he was relapsed or not relapsing. She was, what's the word for it? Um, she was detoxing. Mm-hmm. So I being there wanting to kill myself, I was with someone that was detoxing and I was like, this is not a, this is not a great place to be because, you know, he's freaking out, which. You know, it's not a fun situation to be around someone that's getting off a drug, especially in my mental state. Like, I was like, no, I'm not supposed to be here. I need help, but I, I don't need to be here. I need to be over to the left side, which is like, like stability. Like, I need to be mentally stable and not in recovery and a rehabilitation. And they're like, it's fine. Everyone says that. So it was like, now looking back at it, it's kind of funny to talk about it because it's like, I was in one of those situations where you're sitting there like, no, I don't need to be here. I need to be over there. Like, no, it's fine. Everyone always says that. Like, you're going to be completely okay. And I was saying myself, I was like, no, I really don't need to be here. (laughs) Which I needed to be on the left side. But Mm -hmm. 
at the time, I did not think it was funny. But I'm very into the universe and everything like that. It ended up being a great thing because I had to take classes for nine days about one, suicide prevention and mental health, and two, rehabilitation, which is rehab, which is like addiction therapy. And I had to take classes and study about addiction, which ended up helping me about my family. So it ended up really helping me in the long run because I learned so much about addiction. Exactly. I was going to ask you that if you learned like tools to help you like better talk to your sister or your mom. I ended up learning so much about it and it ended up helping me learn and understand them a lot more, which was really hard because when you're feeling some type of way, especially in a situation with your family, when you have these situations, it, it fuels you and it makes you so angry. And, you know, just because you know some knowledge about something doesn't mean it's going to help you overcome everything. So it took a while for me. It took a couple of years, even after taking these classes, to actually help me, you know. Mm-hmm. And it really helped me, like, get a grasp on them. It really helped me understand that, like, you know, the things they're saying and the things they're doing, especially for anyone listening, I keep saying that, but for real, like, if you deal with someone that is in recovery stage or that is uh, relapsing or um, detoxing, you know, when they're on drugs, you know, they, they will say things and do things to make themselves feel better, which might end up hurting you. And if they are saying these things, it's not your reflection. It's not who you are. It's not you as a person. It's the things they are feeling, you know, like you can't take things personally in that aspect, even though it's so hard and it's so it's easier to have been done. You can't take things personally. The fact that they are getting off drugs and they're going to be mad and serious and they're going to want to get back on these things and they're going to be wanting to, feel high again and feel happy because they're so miserable in their own life that they're going to face things that hurt you to make themselves feel better. And you have to learn absolutely to put that aside and say, no, I am who I am. You are affected by these things, not me. If I'm going to listen to you, if you're listening to them, you, you, you just can't do that because you listening to them is caving into the negativeness and you can't do that. Like, What's what's that what's that feeling like to be berated by like an addict, but not not because they don't love you or they don't want to be around you. It's because they're so angry at in themselves that they're taking it out on you. Everyone's different. Everyone has a different skin. Everyone's toughness is a different level, but it doesn't feel good at all. Like you know, you can be questioning your own worth because of someone else's words problems you know like i was questioning my own worth because you know like i was thinking all the problems were because of me like it wasn't because of me and there's no logical reason that it is because of me i was their child they had these problems you know they're they're adults at this point like it is not my problem but being that age and being in those situations and being depressed it can make you feel like it is your problem you have to realize, you have to learn to separate your problems from their problems because if you don't, you're going to start taking on their problems as well. Their problems as well, but also their feelings. And, you know, you, you, you can't absorb their feelings because then you're going to start feeling that way too. Mm-hmm. And you have to realize, no, I am my own person. Like, 
I may come from this, but I'm not going to stand for this. I may, I may have been born this way. I may have been born into this family, but you have to personally, you have to personally make the decision to say, no, this is not what I'm tolerating anymore. You know, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to go get that job that I want. I'm going to go out there get outside of nature you know nature is such a number one healing factor like it is so good for the mind getting outside walking getting getting adrenaline going you know like feeling good about yourself but unless you're doing that for yourself it's not going to happen you know like you have to be willing to push yourself to feel better so you're basically saying you have to learn how to separate yourself from the problem yes for sure okay so um, let's talk about like your first night spending the night there at the hospital. Are you scared? Are you feeling alone? Are you feeling betrayed? I wasn't feeling betrayed because I knew my friends picking me up and putting me there was not something to be betrayed by. You know, like I knew that it came from a sense of love, but I was very scared because my first night there, I was in a room with. Um, someone detoxing so when someone's detoxing they're moaning they're they're screaming they're sweating they're and they're in the same room as you saying things that don't make any sense yeah so we have i have where it's a shared room but you know they're getting off drugs so it's it's something that they're not they're not feeling good either so me being there it was not a very pleasant experience at first um but it ended up being a very good experience after because of everything that I went through, everything that I felt, everything that I experienced there. I ended up, it ended up humbling me a lot because, you know, like I was surrounded by people with different home life. You know, everyone came from a certain situation and it ended up teaching me a lot about, about people come from different places, you know? Okay. So the next morning when, when you wake up, like, what was that feeling? The next morning waking up, actually, to be honest, I really want to give you an answer, but that period of life, I have a very hard time remembering way back then because I don't want to just make up something and lie about it. Like, I really don't remember too much about that point. Like, I was blacking out a lot because of how stressed and anxious I was. Like, I did not want to be there. I did not want to wake up the next morning. Like, I... I knew I probably was scared. I knew I probably was like wondering what was going on at the same time, but I can't tell you what I was thinking because I, I also was on a new medication when they give you a lot of medication. Like they really want you to start feeling better and they're really worried about you wanting to commit suicide. So they'll, they'll dope you up on these things, which for some people it's great for some people it's not great, but I was on a lot of medication back then and I, I honestly don't remember too much of my time being there. Is that why you think you can't remember is because you were just so high on these drugs? I feel like high gives it a different perspective and I wouldn't say high because the doctors are there to do what they're supposed to do. You know, they're not trying to get, you know, obviously you're not supposed to be high in rehab. Like they're, they're trying to make me feel. They're trying to like balance, balance out your. uh... Balance me out because imagine them thinking I'm bipolar and how stressed and how high and how um, manic I am. Like I was like, my heart rate was going like once, like 
consistently, like not stopping, you know, they're wanting to calm me down. They're wanting me to feel good. And maybe it is the word is getting high, you know, but they're wanting to calm me down so much that I'm not worried about taking my own life. They're really wanting to relax you to be able to talk to you and like get to your, get to you to the point where you're thinking logically, you know, but being on so many different medications was not letting me think logically. And I was, I was probably a little scared, but I can't remember too much. Honestly, from the time I was 18 to 19, I blocked out a lot of it. Do you think that helped you move on? Like not remembering those days? Um, not move on. Like I still felt the feelings I felt. I just don't remember being an adult looking back on those years. I, as a person, I like to be happy. I like to want to be happy. I like the good things in life. And not being able to feel that, you know, was really hard. And I think after so many times me failing to take my own life, I was like, I have to try something different. You know, I have to try to be a different person. I had a lot of good influence around me. I had a lot of good friends and they were always pushing for me to see the brighter side of things, you know, and at the time I didn't want to see the brighter side of things, but they were wanting to push me to my best to, you know, get up and go work out and go on hikes and feel good about myself. And I think after a while it ended up working, working, you know, like I, I, I mean, it took years, like it probably took realistically two years for me to say that from that point when I was 18, 19, 20, like I think 20 was a time that, I was really contemplating it a lot. All of a sudden, like one day I just snapped into it and I wanted to better myself and I wanted to feel better about myself, but I still had those mood swings where like all of a sudden one day I felt like I could be a president, the president of the United States. And then one day I felt like I wanted to not be here at all. You know, like I was having such high mood swings that it was hard and I was tired of it, you know, like, I didn't, I wanted to be able to feel those joys in life. And I think it took me pushing myself and those people around me pushing myself to actually start being more active and going and doing things better for myself that actually started having an impact on myself. So when you left the hospital, do you feel like, were you a better person when you left or were you just the same? No, at that time, I mean, nothing, that quick of a fix is not going to happen. Like, you can't expect yourself to feel better within an amount of a week. You know, like, I was, in that, I was in the institution for about nine days. Is that a normal amount of time? No, so, like, I was in there with people that were, like, stuck on, like, acid trips, and they were stuck on, like, psychedelics, and... You know, they had a lot of bad trips and they were, they were people that were there at least, you know, repetitive people. Like they were there like eight or nine, that was like the ninth time being there. But then they also had a long, long time people where they were there for like 30 days, you know, they were in the long-term facilities. So everyone, it's case by case basis. You know, one person is not going to be able to explain all of the different types of life that are in there everyone has different situations that go on in their lives so some are more long-term some are short-term but with me like it took me about a good two years of constant motivation and pushing myself to get up every day and to go to work and even though I didn't want to go to work you know no one wants to go to work especially when they're feeling like that like to do these things consistently to make yourself 
see the light on the inside of the tunnel and to go towards that light, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes life might seem like it's all a room of darkness and you have that little glimpse of light. It is like a stretch to go get that light, you know, but you have to every day wake up day by day and do it because if you don't do that, you don't take it by a day by day, you're not going to see much results. You know, you, you can't expect it to be over in a week, you know, like you can't just, all of a sudden be suicidal and be like, Oh, next week I'm going to be fine. No, it's going to take a year. It might take two years. It might take six months. You know, you might be one of those cases where you feel better a lot quickly. You know, you might feel day by day difference. Like everyone has a different rate. Like, especially with people that are bipolar. Like I learned that like, you know, like I said, one day you might feel like you could be president and you feel amazing. You don't see why you were ever sad. And then the next day, all of a sudden you're completely dull. You feel so sad. You don't understand why you've ever been happy. You want to take your own life. Like every person in every circumstance is different. Yeah. Especially for people listening, you can't base your story based off of anybody else. You have to base your story based off your own progress and where you're going. And I recommend therapy to everybody. Like even for people that don't even have much going on in their life, like to be able to go and verbalize your feelings and be able to go and verbalize things that you want to talk about. It's such a healthy thing. It's not weakness. I think, you know, like if you, if you're out there and you really want to start feeling better about yourself, make yourself do it. Like there's no reason you shouldn't be doing it. If if you're thinking like, Oh, nothing's going to help me. You're wrong. Like things are going to help you, but you have to be pushing yourself to do that. You can't just snap your fingers. Right. It takes work. Okay. So, um, when people think about suicide, you think, okay, they're just like this poor guy feeling down upon himself or this guy's suicidal because he did something wrong like those examples that I just gave you, what would you say are the biggest misconceptions of people thinking about suicide when they think about suicide? So it's hard to say because, you know, once again, everyone has a different mindset. Everyone has different perspectives on life. So people that have never been suicidal versus people that have been suicidal, it's really hard to say because, you know, some people can say that, you know, like, oh, just be happy. Like, that is one of the biggest things that it's really hard to say to someone that's depressed because it's like, of course, we will just, we would love to just be happy, but you can't just be happy, you know? There's things in my brain going on that's making me feel like I don't, like, I can't be happy. Like, there's certain things bringing me down that I want to tell to go away, but I can't go away, you know? Like, just because someone has never been to a certain place doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Everyone has a different chemistry and everyone has a different map in their brains that it, it won't always make sense to someone. So especially when someone says, just be happy, it's very hard for someone to hear that because, or just get over it. <laughs> so what would you say is the, the one thing that takes over that you've learned through your progress and through like, your stay at the hospital or even just through life, like what would you say is the one thing that you think takes over someone's mind and makes them feel like that where they feel suicidal? I feel like you can't say that makes them suicidal. You know, like everyone comes from a different background and everyone has a different. No, no. Is it, is it a chemical thing? Is it like just situations in life? Like, like along those lines, not was not just like a specific thing, just like, 
things that you no, know, but it, it could be. That's the thing is, it could be both. You know, like mm-hmm. some people suffer from a, a chemical imbalance, which they don't see those things. You know, they they are they have such an imbalance in their brain that it makes them feel a certain type of way. Some people have been through trauma. You know, some people have been raped. Some people have been you know abused. Some people have seen situations that they don't even want to talk about, and that can cause them to be suicidal. Some people can have these situations where they are just, you know, everyone has trauma. Everyone has these situations where everyone, you know, everyone's trauma is valid. But some people may not even have experienced anything like that and they still feel suicidal. You know, it's just a chemical imbalance. So it's hard to say that it's both of those things because it's not, it's not like X and Y equals suicide you know it's like right. it's it's a different factor for each person you know mm-hmm. but for those people that are going through it you know like you can't expect to get out of it yourself like there are people that will conquer it and there are people that will have those stories where like you you rose and you're you're doing so well by yourself you know but anyone that is going through that needs therapy. We all need to be in a place where we are being able to talk about our feelings, we're being able to verbalize our thoughts, we're able to get feedback on what's going on. You know, like you have to get out there and verbalize it. Mm -hmm. So now me being myself, feeling like I am a lot happier and healthier and thriving, I want to continuously talk about this because I think it's important to be able to one, vocalize your feelings and if someone in your life is not willing to listen to that or doesn't, it feels uncomfortable by that, they, if someone is making you feel bad about it, you need to look at the bigger picture and realize that they are not the ones that should be in your life. You know, mm-hmm. you could be talking to someone and saving their life too because they could be feeling the same thing you're feeling. You know, you can't judge a book by a cover. Right. You can't just see a smile on someone's face and think they're happy. You know, you have to be willing to put your story out there and be willing to talk about the things you have been through and make yourself feel more acceptable about that, especially by yourself, especially by yourself, because, you know, that one, that could be helping someone, and two, you should be honoring your story. You should be living your story to the truth and not hiding out on those, those hard facts that, you know, that could be, the reason you're not allowing yourself to move on is because you're not wanting to admit it yourself. That's so true. Now, like through interviewing you a little bit before this talk, um, you said something that I wrote down. You said the happiest people in life are also the saddest. And I wanted to know like what that means to you. You know, I have always been a very outgoing, talkative, happy individual on the outside. Like, you know, whoever I'm talking to, I'm super sweet and super kind. And I, I can confidently say that, like, I have always been that typical person. But deep down inside, I may not have been feeling like that. I have been feeling, might have been feeling depressed and sad and anxious. And, you know, it's always the people, like, especially within social media, you know, you think they have the best life. You think they are you know they're blessed and you know they might be blessed in different ways but just because they look happy doesn't mean they are happy you know and especially with me feeling like that i had felt so much pain at one point in my life that i wouldn't want to give that to anybody i would never have wanted to 
inflict anybody else's stress or anxiety or anything because I have a feeling that myself, you know? So I was always that caring and outgoing person. And that's why I wrote that down is because, you know, people always say to me like, oh, you're always so happy. Like anytime I told them about how I was feeling, oh, I never knew that you're so happy. Like, why are you always so happy? You know, and that was such a hard thing to hear because it's like, no, I'm not happy. Like I may seem, I might be kind, but kindness is different than happiness. And that was a diff- that was something that was it was hard for me to hear at that time in my life because it was hard for me to understand. And it, it really frustrated too hearing, "Oh, you're so happy! Like, why are you so sad? Like, you have such a great life." No, you think I have a great life. You think I have all these things. You know, just because you see something doesn't mean it's always true. So don't ever assume someone is happy just because they're like in a good family life or their family's in a good place or they have money or blah, blah, blah. Even their social media. Yeah. Just because it's even because of their family, like my dad made a good amount of money when I was younger, but just because I was financially stable did not mean I was in a healthy living space or that I was happy or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe, you know, one person's struggle is worrying about the food they're going to put on the table. And the other person's struggle might be something a lot dark, you know, darker, like that is, they're both dark topics and they're both hard and stressful, but just because, one person's this does not mean it's the other person's that. But they're different topics in different genres of pain. Mm-hmm. So just because something looks good on paper doesn't mean it's always good in the heart. Did you have to learn how to have your emotions, both happy and unhappy, like coexist together, like in your head? Did you have to learn how to do that? It's hard for me to say that, you know, like I had to realize that like, yeah, when I was with my friends, I was happy. And then when I was in my room by myself, that was when it was dark. You know, that's when those voices in my head were coming to me and being like, you know, do this, you know, like take your life, you know, like your, your life sucks. Those things like that. But then it's like when I'm with my friends and I'm hiking and, you know, or watching TV or even just drinking with them or smoking with them, you know, anything like that. Like it's fun. Like you feel happy. But. You have to realize there's a balance. To being human, it's not all about the ups. It's not all about the positivity. It's about the ups and the downs. You know, the, the downs that make you up. You know, like without having those, those down moments, you wouldn't have those up moments, you know? And you have to learn to find that balance because if you don't, you, you are going to be stuck in a situation where you're confused on why one day you're happy and one day you're sad. You're human. You are able to be happy and sad. You are able to feel pain, but also be happy in your life. You know, you're all, if you're able to love your job and you're able to love your friends, you're able to, you know, hate your job, but still love your friends. You know, you still have happiness and sadness. You know, you just have to find that balance and realize that it's okay to have these moments where you're conflicted and Am I happy? Am I sad? No, you don't have to be happy or sad. You have to be human. And you have to realize that comes with both being happy and sad. So would you say that you learned that the idea of being happy in your head is not exactly reality or even unachievable? Um, I don't think it's unachievable. I think, I think it's definitely achievable. And I don't think you're ever going to be consistently happy. No matter who you are, whether you're Kim Kardashian having millions of dollars and, you know, everyone thinking you're having the perfect body, you know, you can still have these moments where they make you feel sad. You know, you can't look at life where, Oh, I have to only be happy. I can only be happy because if you're, if you're thinking you can only be happy, 
that's wrong. Like these negative things are not going to affect the way I live my life. And then I view life in general. Let's say there's five things that you can pick that would be the most helpful to someone that is suicidal. What would you say those would be? Let's go three. Let's start small. Being suicidal, it's hard because you have a different mindset, you know, like when I was suicidal, I didn't want the help because I didn't want to be here, you know? And it's like, I I was at the point where I was like, you know, like, why do I even, you know, people are telling me you should try going to therapy. Just like I said, you know, I was telling everyone you need to go to therapy. You should try doing this. You should try getting up every morning early and getting on a good schedule. Like, why would I want to try getting up early if I don't want to be here? You may want to be here and you may want to be happy, but I, at the time, don't feel like I want to be here and I don't want to be happy. Right. You know, but if you're listening and you feel that way and you feel like there's a glimpse of that in you where you do want to be happy, you know, I think ideally we all wish we were happy. Mm-hmm. If you're feeling suicidal and you're, you're feeling you're at the point where you just don't want to try anymore, you know, get up and just go up to that mountain and go walking up that hill and see how you feel that day. You know, like, you know, you may just want to sit in bed and not do anything, you know, but like if you're, if you're contemplating taking your own life, at least try to see what you will feel like going outside and walking around, going outside and seeing nature, you know, getting up and making yourself get up, you know, like it may, you may not want to feel like you want to wake up and go get up. You have to try because if you don't try, just like someone wanting to get in shape, if you're not going to try to eat healthy and try to work out, you can't just wish for it. You know, you have to actually do these things to make yourself feel better. And you have to be willing to put in the effort, you know, and it may be hard and it may seem like you don't want to, but I promise you, once you start feeling better about life, you're going to be so happy that you did that for yourself. You know, life is worth living and you just have to be able to find what makes you happy. So do you think you have to like change up your whole entire life? Do you think you have to just drop everyone and just put yourself first? I think it just depends on the situation you're in. You know, I think you should always put yourself first, but even though like I was in relationships where I was craving love, so I was accepting things that I, I probably didn't deserve because of the things that I didn't feel love for myself. So I was, I was begging for love at this point, you know, I was begging for someone to wrap their arms around me and tell me that they love me because I didn't love myself. You know, did you ever call like any hotlines or anything about suicide when you were feeling suicidal? I personally did not, but I do believe that if you were ever feeling like that, at least try and call, see what it's like. You don't even have to talk. You can just call them and listen to what they're going to say. And if you feel uncomfortable, you know, I recommend you not hanging up, but at least you tried calling and seeing that it's an option for you there. That's a good answer. So, um, I just have two more questions for you. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, um, when you were suicidal, did it ever enter your mind? Like how it would feel to like leave your mom and your dad and your sister and your friends behind and like that that feeling of oh my god this person just killed themselves like how does that affect your not wanting to commit suicide so actually that was like one of the major reason reasons that i didn't kill myself was because i was so afraid of hurting other people that i didn't want to do it to myself um i actually at one point wrote a suicide note 
telling everyone that I loved them, that it wasn't their fault, even though it probably was <laughs> part of their fault. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You know? <laughs> I'm not going to say that. But, <laughs> but, you know, like, I, I had felt so bad at the same time. As I, I had felt like it was my fault for a period of time. Like, you know, like, part of that made me feel like I did not want to leave my families and friends behind because it's, it's not their fault that I'm feeling like this. You know, like, they have been trying so hard to make me feel happy. They have been pushing me to do my best. And I did not want to let them down. And especially, like, I, could Im- I couldn't even imagine losing the best friend, you know, like, or a son or a family member, you know. Like, I would be so devastated. And I just, that was a huge reason I didn't completely, this is going to sound really gruesome and stuff like that, you know. But, like, I was cutting my wrist. You know, I wasn't splitting my throat, you know, like I could have easily like taken a gun and shot myself versus slicing my arms up. And I was really wishing that I would not die in that moment. And I was really wishing things would get better, you know, Mm -hmm. and in that moment where I was wanting things to get better, it was my friends and family in the back of my mind being like, I cannot leave them like this, like this will devastate them. You know, like I would put them before yourself yeah and if 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 i was putting their feelings before mine at least i was safer that way do you think that was just from being young like putting other people's feelings before your own no i still have that a little bit of that mindset like i would take a bullet from multiple of my friends and that's come from love you know that's not about suicide or anything like that you know and i would give my shirt off my back to make someone else feel warm you know like things like that but now I'm at the point where I have boundaries and I think boundaries are a very good thing to implement in your life because if you don't have boundaries, no one else is going to know where, where their line stands. And well, without boundaries, there's no boundaries. Without those boundaries, you're going to end up lighting yourself on fire to keep that person warm. Mm-hmm. So did anyone ever find that note that you had left? I didn't leave it. I had typed it up in case I actually was going to send it. Mm-hmm. Um, I never ended up sending it, but I actually had a whole Google Docs, and I knew logically that if I were to kill myself, that someone would have gone through my phone and found it. So I had never written it. It was actually on my Google Doc. Anytime I've ever experienced someone that was suicidal and and the point where I've been feeling happier about my life, I have never read them that letter because I didn't want them to attach to it and feel like that was the right thing, you know? Okay, so this is the last question. How would you say you are doing today? And, like, who's Kyle today? Like, are you living your best life? Are you friendly? Today, Kyle is living his best life. I would never have expected in a million years to be this happy. Like, I feel, like, the joy, the sun rises, I'm so happy to see it. Like, before, if you would have told me that when I was 18 years old, if you would have told me one day I would be feeling like this, I would never have believed you. Mm-hmm. And it's through, it's through waking up and making myself get outside and going on a, even a 10-minute walk, doing these things to make yourself feel better and surrounding yourself, choosing to surround yourself by people that are deserving of being around you it can do an, a huge impact in your life. It is possible to appreciate you and the person you are and the life you live and where you come from because everything you have been through has taught you 
and we'll teach you lessons that you, what you deserve, what you don't deserve, how hard you're willing to work, all these things that go into it. Like, I think it's very important to take regrets and turn them into lessons learned because you can sit there and dwell on the things you have been through and the regrets that you have. Or you can sit there and say, you know, I've made this mistake. I've been through this. Even if it's not a mistake you've made, it's something you've been through. I have been through this and I am going to change. I am not going to let this affect me. I'm going to build the life I deserve because this is who I am and this is how I want to live my life. I think that's great advice to give. Well, thank you, Kyle, for coming on the show. I know it took so many months to finally get you on the show, but I'm so glad you finally did it. Thank you. How do you feel? I feel good. Good? You feel better? You feel more at ease? I feel more at ease. I feel like I can still keep talking. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for coming on the show, buddy. All right. Thank you. Have a good night. All right. You too. I'm living in town